All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada and Sri Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Sri Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Goravani Pacharane Nivasesis and Nivadi Paskatya De Satarane. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Padakamalam Sri Guru and Vaishnavam Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Ravanatam Bitam Stam Sajivam. Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Paditana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam. Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitamscha Vanchka Pachubisha Kripasindavi Tapatitanam Pavanavio Vaishnavi Namun Ma Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya March 9th, 2022 in Hawaii. Uh, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, The Creation of the Fourth Order. Chapter 30, The Activities of the Pachetas. Text 13. Kando Pamlo Chaya Labda Kanya Kamala Lochana Tam Chapa Vidam Jagrihur Buruhan Ripanandana Kandaho of the sage Kandu of the sage Kandu Pramlochaya by a heavenly society girl named Pramlocha by a heavenly society girl named Pramlocha Labda obtained Kanya Kanya Daughter Kamala Lochana Lotus Eyes Tam Her Cha Also Apavidam Given Up Jagrahu accepted. The trees. The trees. Nipa Nandanaha. O sons of King Prachini Bodhishat. Translation by Srila Prabhupada. O sons of King Prachinibarishat, the heavenly society girl named Pramlocha, kept the lotus-eyed daughter of Kandu in the care of the forest trees. Then she went back to the heavenly planet. This daughter was born by the coupling of the Apsara named Pramlocha with the sage Kandu. Shila Prabhupada's purport. Whenever a great sage undergoes severe austerities for material power, the king of heaven Indra becomes very envious. All the demigods have responsible posts for the management of universal affairs and are very highly qualified with pious activities. Although they are ordinary living entities, they are able to attain responsible posts like Lord Brahma, Indra, Chandra, and Varuna. As is the nature of this material world, the king of heaven, Indra, is very anxious if a great sage undergoes severe austerities. The whole material world is filled with such envy that everyone becomes afraid of his neighbors. Every businessman is afraid of his associates 
Because this material world is the field of activities for all kinds of envious people who have come here to compete with the opulence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus, Indra was very much afraid of the severe austerities performed by the great sage Khandu, and he sent Pramlocha to break his vows and austerities. A similar incident took case in the a similar incident took place in the case of Vishvamrita. From other incidents in the Shastras, it appears that Indra has always been envious. When King Prithu was celebrating various sacrifices, outdoing Indra, Indra became very envious and he disturbed King Prithu's sacrifice. This has already been discussed in previous chapters. King Indra became successful in breaking the vow of the great sage Khandu, who became attracted by the beauty of the heavenly society girl Pramlocha and begot a female child. This child is described herein as lotus-eyed and very beautiful. Being thus successful in her mission, Pramlocha returned to the heavenly planets, leaving the newborn child to the care of the trees. Fortunately, the trees accepted the child and agreed to raise her. Kando Pramlochaya Labda Kanya Kamala Lochana Tamchapa Vedam Jagrehur Buruha Nripanandanaha. O sons of King Prachini Bharidat, the heavenly society girl named Pramlocha kept the lotus eyed daughter of Kandu in the care of the forest trees. Then she went back to the heavenly planet. This daughter was born by the coupling of the Apsara named Pramlocha with the sage Kandu. So this a verse uh, is, a, is in reference to uh, the desire of the Supreme Personality of Godhead for all ten Prachetas to marry this girl, Madisha, who is half human and half demigod. And it, it's going to be one of those, a few situations we read about in the Bhagavatam where one woman has many husbands. So we have many, many, many examples, uh, dozens, maybe hundreds of examples in the Bhagavatam of men having more than one wife. Uh, we only have a few of women having more than one husband. Of course, Draupadi has five husbands. There's also one woman who's married to 49 fire gods. And in this case, Marisha is going to be given to all ten of the Prachetas. So here... The Lord is giving the Prachetas some background information. Who is this girl? That she is, in one sense, a very highly qualified girl because she's her father is a great sage and her mother is a Apsara, who's like a semi-demigod. So she's a, a celestial being. At the same time, <laughs> she's born of this illicit relationship and she was abandoned at birth. And, and we have, of course, in our modern society, for children to be born out of, wedlock, out of wedlock and abandoned at birth and given up for adoption or whatever is becoming more and more common, right? In, in 1960, in America, 4% of children were born out of wedlock, and today it is 40%. So this kind of behavior goes on even among the celestials. We shouldn't be so surprised <laughs> at it going on among the humans when it goes on among the celestials. So this Pramlocha, she had her assignment from Indra, uh, have an illicit affair with Kandu, and wreck his austerity. So she does that, and the child that results from this, she's not interested in the child. She was never interested in Kandu. She was never interested in, in anything but seduction. And then she just gives the child to the trees. Hey, trees. <laughs> and somehow this child is raised by the trees. It's interesting, you know, we have stories, uh, even in fairly recent times, of children being raised by animals. Uh, I don't think we have any stories other than this one that I'm aware of, of children being raised by plants. Of course, she wasn't exactly raised by the plants, but by the presiding deities of the trees, and she was fed directly from Indra with his, by his finger. Many, many took compassion on her, but definitely a very unusual person, unusual birth, unusual, very unusual upbringing. One can just imagine <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of upbringing that is. But she must be very qualified 
that she's going to be married to these great devotees who are seeing Lord Vishnu face to face, who've received instructions from Lord Shiva and so forth. So Prabhupada's focusing in this purport on envy, on what led up to the birth of this girl, uh, Pramlocha, that what's what's behind this, the envy of Indra, Indra envying Khandu. And of course, uh, this Apsara, uh, no, the, the Kevli girl, sorry, is Pramlocha. The Apsara Pramlocha, you know, she also <laughs> had must have some kind of envy. Uh, to delight in seeing the fall down of this of this sage and facilitating his fall down without any affection for him or even any affection for the daughter that she bears with him, any, any interest in that. We, we don't see this with Ganga, when Ganga, Ganga actually marries Santanu, and we see that the one child that she wasn't able to send back to the heavenly planets, uh, Devavrat, who became Bhishma, she actually cared about him, she cared about all of her children. She took Bhishma with her to the, at that time his name was not Bhishma, to the heavenly planets to get schooled by the demigods. And she, and she had great affection for him for his entire life. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't what we're seeing here. But Pramlocha had no, she had no interest like that. So we're going to look at this envy. You know, she just delighted, oh wow, you know, I made a sage fall down. <laughs> We're going to look at what, it, what is this envy, what, what actually is the essence of envy, and how does it manifest, and then we're going to look at what is the cure. All right, so what is the essence of envy? Well, it starts off with a, an inner feeling of lack. It starts off with a feeling of incompleteness, that I don't already have everything that I need, that I am not already enough, that I have to be something other than myself. I have to achieve something other than than what I've achieved. I have to have something other than what I have in order to be enough, in order to be satisfied. And Prabhupada talks about that uh, in this world, yes, he says, uh, the whole material world is filled with such envy. Everyone is afraid of his neighbors. And he says, uh, this world is a field of activities for all kinds of envious people who've come here to compete with the opulence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So the Supreme Personality of Godhead is complete. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnamidachite. And when we're in touch with the Supreme, we also feel complete. We feel that all of our desires are fulfilled. Like Dhruva Maharaj, when he actually saw the Lord, he said, all my desires are fulfilled. But this envy comes from this separate feeling of separateness, not the kind of ecstatic separation that the great devotees have as part of their prema, as part of their love for the Lord. Uh, Rupa Goswami discusses separation and meeting as an essential part of the staibhav or the rati, the love for the Lord. And not that kind of separation, but where we really just don't see that we have any relationship with the Lord, we, we don't even see the Lord. We have so many people at the present time who are atheists or agnostics, and you know, I don't believe that there is a God, or maybe there's a God, I don't know, but I, you know, it's irrelevant to my life if there is a God. So this sort of separation, and even, uh, I think we could say the vast majority of religious people, and we could safely say that the vast majority don't live lives that are deeply connected with God, they don't even try to. So, you know, you can ask so many people, do you believe in God? Yes, I do. What do you do on a regular basis to connect with him? How do you see God in your life? And then there's really not going to be much of an answer. Or people who are say, yeah, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Hindu, or I'm a Muslim, or I'm a Jew, or whatever. And, well, what do you do? You know, <laughs> what do you do in, in terms of your religion? And the answer will often be, you know, not much. Not much. Yeah. So there's this feeling of, of separateness, that my life is not connected. Or, and even people who go to their churches or their temples or their mosques or their synagogues or whatever, you know, it tends to be a little slice of life that's not, again, connected. So I've got my, you know, religion piece and I've got my family piece and my career piece and my entertainment piece and all different pieces of my life. And most of them, I, I don't see a connection with God. I don't see the relevance of God. In most of the world, the education systems, the political systems, are all done 
is separation from God. So when we feel separate from God, we feel a lack. <laughs> we feel an incompleteness. We feel afraid that, wow, am I going to get what I need? The material life is full of fear. You know, I feel constant fear. Am I going to have enough money? They say that's the biggest fear, that our, our life will last longer than our money. <laughs> we'll run out of money before we run out of life. You know, will I have enough money? Will I have enough food? Will I have a proper shelter? Will I have proper health? Will I have friends? Will people like me? I mean, it's just full of these fears, constant, constant fears, because we think, I don't have, I, I have a lack. I need food, I need shelter, I need friends, I need money, I need health, in order to be fulfilled, because I'm not naturally fulfilled. So it's this inner lack. And then I'm defining myself by comparison with others. Oh, that person has more friends. That person has more of this. That person has more money. That person has more beauty. <laughs> you know, that person is, is, has a better looking body. Constantly comparing. Well, oh, I don't have that when we're trying to figure out what we need to fill this lack, we look, we look around at others. Oh, that, that person has a nicer husband, a nicer wife, or a nicer body, or, or a higher education, or more money in the bank, or better children, or well, whatever it is. I, I need that. I, I need that to be fulfilled. I need that to fill my, my gaps. To fill my emptiness. Right? What is it? What is it that could make me be fulfilled? Oh, it's what he has, it's what she has, it's what they have. And this this goes to the uh, to the limit even. And it's an entirely separatist mentality. I am me and you are you. I can't take any pleasure in what you have because it's what you have. It's not what I have. We're, we're entirely separate beings. My interest is entirely separate from yours. Yours is entirely separate from mine. Your happiness, your accomplishments, your possessions have nothing to do with me. They belong to you. And what I get has nothing to do with you. I mean, in the most extreme form, this separatist mentality results in objectifying people. And this particularly happens in war, which is usually, not always, but usually one of the most extreme manifestations of envy. So in war, often the other combatants, the enemy combatants, get some kind of name, you know, some kind of non-human name. They're the gooks, or they're the, dude, some name is applied to them that dehumanizes them, or even just calling them the enemy. You know, five enemy combatants are standing at the door. You know, we, we objectify them. And in general, objectifying animals, objectifying the opposite sex, objectifying humans, who anyone who has something that I feel I need to complete myself I objectify them. I make them into an object. And then there's not a personal application of the law of karma. So these great demigods certainly understand the law of karma. In fact, they are some of the personalities who are enforcing the law of karma. But somehow there's a lack of a personal application of the law of karma. So I was talking the other day with a devotee who is an investor in real estate. And he was telling me how he was neglectful recently in a contract and so he lost $8,000 and then he says but I don't blame the agent of my karma he said I must have cheated somebody out of money at some in some past life and therefore I'm getting cheated uh, but when one's envious one doesn't do this one, one doesn't apply the law of karma one thinks that other people have something more that, that I can get or that I can affect in some way. And one doesn't consider 
you know, these actions that are being done here, Indra sending this this uh, apsara to disturb the sage, the apsara seducing him without caring about him, without caring about the child. And, and none of these people are thinking about what kind of reactions will I get for this. And such is one of the main demarcations of lust. We specifically see lust in, in regard to sexual desire where a person just forgets about consequences. They just forget about it. You know, I, I want this person sexually and I, I forget about what will be the reactions even immediate in this life, what to speak of next life. You know, that I, I may be destroying my family, I may be destroying their family, I may be transmitting a disease or contracting a disease, I may have a, a child that is then unwanted, you know, there may be so many uh, emotional repercussions. So a person under the influence of lust, they just, they just don't think about these things. It just goes out, you know, all it is about is let me fulfill my sexual desires with this person in this way. And such can be applied to things other than, than sexuality, lust, can, anything. You know, I want this so much that it doesn't matter. People going into horrendous debt, for example, you know, just, I, I want this house, I want this car, I want this, this clothing, I want these things. And, you know, then having this, this huge burden of debt that they can't pay for and that damages their life. And so, it's somebody, we can think of so many, so many examples, you know, lust for food, that then you become overweight, you become sick, and, you know, it goes on and on and on. So this is the essence of envy, a feeling of an inner lack, a feeling that I'm incomplete, that I am not enough. What I have is not enough. I am not enough. And then trying to, looking at others and seeing what they are or what they have. And if I was just like that or if I had that, then I would feel complete. Thinking that I'm separate. That my interests and others' interests are entirely separate and disregarding consequences, disregarding the law of karma, not even thinking about consequences, just being focused on my immediate needs. So we could say uh, this is the essence of envy. Now, how does this manifest? How does envy show up? Uh, it, sometimes it can show up in, in minor ways, such as fault-finding. And Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati gives an example of this, which... Uh, Srila Prabhupada, Iskand Srila Prabhupada founder, used to quote that you find out that your old buddy has become a high court judge, you know, your childhood friend, and you say, really? Come on. I remember him when we were five and when we were ten, you know, come on, he didn't become a high court judge. Yeah, yeah, he is. I... I saw him sitting on the bench. Well, they must not be paying him anything then. So, fault finding. You know, if somebody appears to be or to have something that we think we, we would need to be fulfilled, if I was like that or if I had that, then I would be fulfilled. Then we find fault with it. We, we pick out, you know, okay, yeah, they have so many good things, but what about this fault? What about that fault? What about the other fault? Another manifestation of envy is ingratitude, a feeling of entitlement. I'm entitled to get as much or more than what anyone else has, and uh, instead of being grateful for what I have and being grateful for who I am and grateful for my life, then I just have this, this feeling of dissatisfaction and a feeling of, of entitlement. You know, I should get this, I should get that, I should get this, I should get that. I'm, I'm becoming grateful for the gifts of God, I'm becoming grateful for the, the gifts of others. I may not even notice what others do for me or even notice what the Lord is doing for me. I may not notice even the, the small things in life, you know, my... Ability to walk, my ability to talk, to hear, to see, to eat, to digest food, the, the sunlight. You know, and sometimes we hear, like now there's a, 
in the news is this war, Russia with Ukraine. There's always some war going on, whether or not it's at the, the headlines. And, you know, you think about that, okay, somebody has their building bombed and they have to just leave with a few possessions and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, then one feels, wow, what I really, what I have is, is amazing. You know, but somebody who's feeling that I don't have enough, <laughs> I need more of this, I need to be this, then their whole life is filled with ingratitude. And not only ingratitude, but one often feels very angry uh, or, or sad or disappointed or something. You know, this, this chronic negative emotions. I mean, we all have negative emotions that, that go through us, but just chronic negative emotions. You know, a person who's just frequently grieving and frequently angry and frequently disappointed. And it, it can lead to a lot of, you know, feeling of being a victim. And we see this, and to be very frank, we see this even among devotees. Another manifestation of envy is false posturing where we pretend to be better than we are. We try to cover our lacks. We try to cover our feeling of lack with pretending that we have it all together. You know, pretending, oh yes, I'm, I have everything I need and I am everything I want and inside we're going, no, oh, I need more, I need different, I need to be something else. <laughs> so putting on, putting on a show that everything's great Whereas inside, we're falling apart. All right, then we go to uh, a next level where we break other people's boundaries. We're, we're stealing. And this is what we're seeing is happening here. We're flying out and out stealing. So this is when envy really gets uh, strong. That I'm not just a negative person, a fault-finding, ungrateful, pretentious you know, entitled, angry, bitter, sad person. <laughs> but I actually want to take from others. I want to take from others. So I get my feeling of fault-finding, my feeling of ingratitude and entitlement and the lust that comes from this inner lack gets so strong, and my uncaring about consequences, that I will forcibly take something from others. Now, this can be on a very low level. I take other people's time or energy that they don't want to give me. And I think we've all experienced this, where somebody is taking my time, somebody is taking my energy that I don't want to give. And I feel disturbed. You know, and, and sometimes, I mean, we'll even say, um, I, I really can't give this now. And the person keeps trying to take it. And sometimes people practically force it. You know, people that are having a conversation and they it's almost impossible for you to leave the conversation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they're almost forcing it. People for trying to force you to give something you don't want to give. And it could be money. They try to ask you for money or push you to give money you don't want to give or asking you to give time or asking you to give some behavior you don't want to give and, and, making, and trying to make you, what do we say, guilt tripping trying to make you feel guilty if you don't do it, or criticizing you in some way, or, you know, some kind of, of attack, a social attack, a verbal attack, a character attack, if you won't give something that you don't want to give. So breaking boundaries. And what's interesting is when a person is very envious and they're feeling very entitled and they're feeling uh, very ungrateful and very angry and very bitter, they don't see that they're breaking other people's boundaries. In fact, they think everybody's breaking their boundaries and they don't think that they're breaking anybody else's boundaries. And it was very interesting. I had 
uh, quite some time ago a conversation with someone who was complaining. Person A was complaining about person B. Person B isn't treating me with respect, etc., etc. And finally, person A showed me some screenshots of conversations between persons A and B. And I said, wait a minute. You're the one who's not respecting the other person's boundaries. The other person is your superior and is telling you, I said, at least five times in this conversation to stop. And you just keep going. You're, you're not being respectful of what the person is willing to give voluntarily. Then it can get so that, that we encounter this sort of thing regularly in our life. That people who push and wheedle and cajole and guilt trip and threaten if we won't give them time, energy, money, love, <laughs> things, expertise, whatever that we think that they should give us in order for us to be fulfilled. I am just, it was some weeks ago, I, I got an email from some devotee asking me to engage in a discussion on a controversial topic. And I, I said, I'm not interested in talking about this topic. And I was thinking, I'm especially not interested in talking about it with you. I thought, I don't even know this person. I'm not going to engage in writing, in discussing a very controversial topic with someone I don't know. And the person kept pushing. They're writing me emails like every day and, and pushing. And um, finally I said, listen, I've, I've given a class on this topic and I've written an article on this topic, so you can find those. And then the person writes me back and says, well, at least you could give me the links to them. And I'm thinking, at least? <laughs> Why am I obligated? <laughs> anyway, I did. But I was thinking, wow, you know. Somehow I'm, I'm obligated to, to give you something because you want to argue something with me. But if things can go to a, a more extreme level, and that's what we're seeing in this purport, where we don't just uh, try to steal people's time or energy, or, uh, but we really aggressively try to hurt them. Uh, we try to we take things from them very very violently. So not just with guilt tripping and with threatening and and so forth, but, but actually quite violently. And uh, stealing someone's reputation, I mean, what is being done here by Indra and Pramlocha to Kandu is damaging his reputation and stealing his shakti, stealing his energy. Uh, so it's well known that people who engage in, especially Astanga Yoga, which is a mechanical system of yoga, uh, they get a certain kind of energy, and the beginning of Astanga Yoga is Yama and Niyam, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, and if you do the wrong thing, then some of the shakti is, is lost. Uh, so they're trying to steal his shakti, they're trying to steal his energy, they're trying to steal his reputation. And again, on a very gross level, this can go to stealing things. You know, I, I ask you to give me something, and you won't do it, and I guilt trip you about it, and I, I threaten you about it, and I harass you about it, and, and then I go and take it. I just simply go and take it. I actually steal it. And that, that can even be the case, again, with, um, on, on a more subtle level, with people who, who steal our energy or steal our time. And, you know, once one becomes aware that this breaking of other people's boundaries, this breaking of other people's voluntary desire is envy, and it is a form of stealing, then one becomes very, very hesitant uh, because there is a law of karma, and there is a reaction, and, and it, it is a manifestation of envy. I mean, I've talked about this a, a bit in my classes recently because I guess it just really struck me that I'm, I'm right now preparing to give class on the secondary rasas, the secondary stibobs, and one of them is chivalry. And chivalry has four subdivisions. One of them is called diavir, where a person is very generous with the Lord. And the story that Rupa Goswami gives in this regard is that uh, Krishna and Arjuna were taking around Yudhisthira's sacrificial horse for the Rajasuya Yagya. 
And the rule at that time, you send out this horse, and it's a challenge horse. It's basically telling all the other kings, either you contribute part of your tax income to Eudistir, to whoever wants to be the emperor, as a way of acknowledging that the person is the emperor, and as a way of funding, what does it mean? That you're the emperor, you collect the subordinate taxes. People in those days only paid local taxes, and part of those local taxes were paid to the higher government officials. And if you're not willing to pay something, uh, then there would be a fight. Like with Jarasunder, it was a one-on-one duel. Anyway, so this one king, as the this sacrificial horse, this challenge horse, is being sent around, he captures it. So you capture the horse, it's a declaration of, of war. It's a declaration of insubordination. So uh, this can be dealt with with a battle, because they were traveling around with this challenge horse with a small guard. Uh, they weren't prepared for an all-out war. Uh, or it can be done with a duel or whatever. And uh, something like when with Jarasandar where Krishna Arjuna and Bhishma, not Bhishma, Bhima, Krishna Arjuna and Bhima dressed up as if they were Brahmanas. So similarly, Krishna dressed up as a Brahmana and he went to the king who had taken this challenge horse. And he said... Uh, my my daughter is about to get married, but on the way to the wedding, her fiancé, my prospective son-in-law, was attacked by a lion in the jungle. And the lion is going to eat him unless we give him a suitable replacement. And I would like you to give me half your body to replace the body of my prospective son-in-law. So the king, he doesn't know it's Krishna, but he's a great devotee. And he thinks it will please Krishna if I'm generous. And so he says, yes, you can have half my body. And his wife steps forward and she says, the wife is considered half of the husband's body. So you can take me. And then Krishna says, the wife is considered the left half of the husband's body and the lion only wants the right half. So it's not going to work. We have to take the right half of your husband's body. So the king said to his wife and son, you please cut my body in half and we give the right side to this Brahmana. And before they did so, he started crying out of his left eye. And this is uh, the point, and the, the, this is a part of the story that I want to focus on here, is then Krishna said, stop. I don't want half your body if you're going to be crying about it. So if you're not giving something willingly, if you're not giving something joyfully, uh, I, I don't want it. I'm, I'm not going to take by force. I'm not going to break your boundaries. Of course, the, the way the story ends is the king said, no, my left eye is crying because you're only going to take the right half of my body. You're not going to take my whole body. And so the left side of my body is, is grieving that it also can't be given. And then Krishna revealed that he was Krishna and he said, okay, okay, you don't have to give me your body. Do your sacrifice. <laughs> Use the horse and then they revived the horse, and then they, so after this king did the sacrifice, then they revived the horse, and the horse was again taken around. But I found it very significant that Krishna's mood was, I only want to take things that are given willingly. So this is part of the cure for envy. Part of the cure for envy is to be absolutely determined only to take from others what they willingly give never to break somebody else's boundaries. I mean, unless somebody's in danger, in, in immediate uh, danger. You know, if a child's running in, in the street in front of a moving car, you don't care whose child it is or what's going on, you're just going to go and grab that child and, and get it out of the street. So there, there are some emergency situations. But other than that, an emergency situation is not my own needs are so strong that I can break others' boundaries. And this is what... All of us conditioned souls, including myself, this is what we do. We justify our taking from others. We justify breaking others' boundaries and taking from them because our needs are so pressing. Our situation is so urgent. We're hurting so much. So this also means that it's going to be very difficult for us not to take from others, no matter how determined we are unless we feel satisfied within. It, it just, otherwise this pushing of, of lust, this pushing is, is going to create in us this envy that I have to get something that others have. 
it, it just will. Regardless of how much we understand this, regardless of our determination, I mean, these people like Indra, they're, they're not ordinary people. They're devotees, they're very much in sattva guna, and yet they have these problems. And these stories are here in the Shastra to say, hey, if Indra has this problem, then probably you do too. And the only real cure is to feel satisfied within, to really focus on our connection with Krishna. I like how Krishna says to the gopis, be satisfied with your own good qualities, be satisfied with your own love. However, I, you know, I may reciprocate with you in ways you like, I may reciprocate with ways, you, ways with you that you don't like, but be satisfied with your love. And we all experience this in some way in this world that when I love someone or something, that sense of loving is very satisfying, no matter how they reciprocate with me. So in a similar way, to be so filled with love for Krishna and, and so filled with a connection with Krishna but then we're okay with respecting others' boundaries. We will only take what other people will give willingly and joyfully. And we're, we, we don't care anymore about finding fault with others. And we feel then very grateful for everything that we have and everything that we've, that we've done. And when others are suffering, we become filled with compassion. And we have a sense of oneness with others. Prabhupada says spiritual life is that Someone else's happiness is my happiness. If I see somebody richer than me, more beautiful than me, more this, more that, more the other, I'm, I'm happy for their happiness. Because we're one, and therefore their happiness is my happiness. I don't feel that we're, we're separate. I feel, the, as Krishna explains in the sixth chapter, I feel the happiness and distress of others as my own. And then what I want to be separate from, instead of feeling separate from Krishna, I want to feel some separation from the mind. I want to feel some separation from the body and the mind with its constant whining and complaining and hankering and, and distractions. I want this, I need that, why does that person have this and I don't and it's not fair and I'm better than that person and why do they have something even though I'm better than them and look at all their faults and still they have these things and it's not fair and why don't they get... All these, these thoughts in the mind and all the feelings in the mind, the anger, the bitterness, the grief, the guilt, the shame, whatever, you know, that it's just, it's not me. It's really not me and... We don't have to pay attention to it, just like we don't pay attention to some two-year-old having an absolute tantrum because you wouldn't give them five cookies before dinner. We, we just don't take it seriously. Right? We really, I mean, we care about the child. Uh, we don't want the child to get hurt, but we don't take it seriously. So we care about the mind. It's Krishna's energy. And Krishna says, of all the senses, I am the mind. We respect it as Krishna's energy. But we neglect it, like Jud Bharat neglected the mind. And we, we say, see, I know your tricks. You know, again, just like a little child. I mean, uh, the example given about Rishabdev is of a wild animal. That when you capture a wild animal, you don't trust it. But I don't know how many of us have captured wild animals. I mean, I have, we raised a wild opossum that was abandoned by its mother, but we certainly all have experience of a petulant young child, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old child who hasn't really developed language and really hasn't developed logic and doesn't have a lot of developed empathy. And we just don't take their whining and their tantrums seriously. Uh, uh, we may comfort them, <laughs> uh, uh, but we, we really don't take it very Seriously, I mean, yesterday at my granddaughter's house, so she was putting some clothes in the laundry and her two-year-old wanted her to pick him up and she said, I, you know, I can't hold you right now, I'm busy. And so he lay on the floor and he cried. And he said, I sad, I sad. <laughs> I said, I'll give you a hug. <laughs> but we didn't take it seriously. It's not serious. I'm going to cry because my mother can't put, pick me up when she's doing laundry. So in the same way, the, not to take the mind seriously. I don't have this, I don't have that, I am not this, I am not that. Look at this person, look at that person, look at what they have. Maybe they'll take something away from me, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen. Maybe I'll lose this, maybe I'll lose that. 
I have to have this, I have to have that, this person has to give me this, they have to give me that, they have to give me their love, they have to give me their time, they have to give me their attention, they have to respect me. (laughs) And I'm just like, whatever, mind. I don't need anything from anybody. If somebody wants to willingly give me something, if somebody wants to willingly love me, if somebody wants to willingly respect me, if somebody wants to willingly give me their time or whatever, but I don't need anything from anybody because I already have Krishna. I'm already filled with, up with Krishna. I'm already a soul. I'm already a perfect soul, part and parcel of Krishna. And I don't need anyone or anything. I don't need to be anything other than what I am. I don't need to have anything other than what I am and I have. I already have and am absolutely perfect. And that's all. And I, I don't need this, uh, I don't need to feel separate from Krishna and separate from my own identity. What I need to feel separate from is illusion. <laughs> let me separate myself from illusion and let me take my happiness within, my pleasure within, my joy within, my satisfaction within. And then overflowing with that, I can be compassionate to others. And then I can actually be respectful of others. And I can be the opposite of, of a thief and the opposite of it. And here these, these people are, are being uh, are stealing. So we have a few minutes. Uh, if anybody has questions or comments or additions or subtractions or chastisements. Somebody like Indra has, I like your point, even somebody like Indra has difficulties and as exalted as he is, what hope is there for us? Mm. So we should actually feel like that and say, help Krishna! We should very much feel like that. Indra is a devotee, He's the king of heaven. He has beauty, power, intelligence, knowledge, you know, practically unlimited wealth. Practically speaking, unlimited respect from all these higher beings in the universe. So much. And still he's dissatisfied. Still he's envious. Still he's fearful. Still he feels that there's a lack in and, and so he does these outrageous things. So one hope is there for me. There isn't. There isn't. There's, there's no way that through my own determination, my own intelligence, my own endeavor, my, that it, 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 it's, it's not going to happen. But Ashabanda. So I have this, this hope against hope that although it, this is impossible... Impossible. That is possible by grace. That's the only way. That's the only way. We see these people, they're not turning to Krishna. They're worrying about, oh, maybe this Kandu is going to take over my post and he's going to become powerful and let me, let me take things from him. And, and why doesn't Indra just go to his boss? <laughs> why doesn't he just go to Krishna? I mean, look look how kind Krishna is to him. That when Indra... I mean, Indra, of course, is a post, so this may not be the same jiva. But when Indra floods Vrindavan, Krishna says, stay in your post. Just don't be envious again like this. So what does he really have to worry about? Nothing. So yeah, it's only, it's only going to be by grace and by humility. And asking, Krishna, please help me. Krishna, please help me. And when we mess up, and we, you know, we, we will mess up. <laughs> uh, when we mess up, then to say, oh, oops. You know, I messed up. I, I need grace. I need grace. Wow, I, was, I disrespected someone again. I, I tried to force somebody again to give me something or to be something for me. Or I tried to pretend I was something that I wasn't out of this this illusion of, of separateness and this illusion of lack. Oh, my Lord, you know, sheesh, I can't do it on my own. Please, please help me. 
Mataji, I have two questions, however. I saw that Kandita Mataji and Mahalakshmi were unmuted. Do either of you have questions? Yes. I do. Go ahead, please. Um, we hear that Krishna is more eager to give us mercy than we are to receive it. So how can we, what is the behavior that will will please Krishna in such a way that we'll be able to receive the grace he wants to bestow? Well, let's think of it as a situation that we can understand. So I'm sure that we have all been in a situation where we've wanted to help a person more than they wanted to be helped. Yes? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I've been in that situation as a teacher, as a parent, as a grandparent, but even with friends, where you can see that somebody needs help, you know that you have the capacity to help them, you know that they will benefit from your help, and you may offer your help, and the person is not receptive. Yes? Yes. Okay. And then maybe not only just not receptive, they may actually be angry. Yes? Yes. Yes. And, and sometimes this is true even if they ask for your help. So I'm sure we've also had this experience. I had this experience actually with somebody very recently where somebody says to you, what do I need to do to advance? What are my problems? And you tell them, and then they become angry. Yes? You've had this experience? Yes. Okay. And sometimes not only will they get angry, but they'll start criticizing you. You know, what are my problems? Well, this is your problem. How can you say that? You're a terrible person. (laughs) So, if we look at that kind of situation where we're, in a sense, in the position of Krishna where we're in the sense of the giver of mercy and the giver of help and the other person is not receptive even though they may have asked us. Yes? Yes. Yes. So what is it we want the other person to do? I'm asking you. Okay. And take it. Well, there you go. That's your answer. We should be hated with Krishna. We think that we to do, show the desire and the, the attitude is not, but that's what the person thinks. Yes. So if we want to receive Krishna's mercy, we have to act in exactly the same way as when we're trying to give somebody mercy, that we want a person to behave. It's, it's really that simple. And I'm sure you've also had a situation where the other person says, well, I'm listening to you, but you know they're not. Yeah. I mean, I just had this, I just had this happen to me like a week ago where someone said, you know, well, what's my problem? And I said, I, I actually don't really want to tell you your problem. And they, they pushed. I said, okay. But I don't, I don't think you'll believe me. So this is your problem. How can you say that's my problem? You're just a fault finder. It's like, <laughs> you asked me. And I said, this is why I didn't want to tell you because... I knew you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't hear. You would just become defensive. No, I'm listening, I'm listening. I said, you're not. You're just arguing with me. So, you know, this is, this is what Krishna wants from us, that we're willing to actually hear. And we're willing to take it on board. We're willing to say, yes, Lord, I, I accept. I accept what you're saying. I I. I receive. Is that all right? That, yeah. Okay, we could have one more question and then I have to go. 
Uh, I think Vidagna might have had something, or Candita. Otherwise, I had some questions. Well, then we ask Candita. Candita, are you there? Maybe not, maybe not. Okay, okay. well, let's I'll ask why I can't. Vidag Demod- um, is Vidag We can ask him. Actually, I, I, I didn't really. I, I do have a. I, I could ask a question. I can always ask a question. But I, I <laughs> you always give to, such, such uh, enlivening contributions. <laughs> I, 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 maybe you could say one short thing. Like in part of your talk, I, I liked your class, by the way. Um, you said, uh, you know, somebody's dealing with a higher up, and the higher up, the superior is saying stop, and the guy's not stopping. So he just, you know, so, so you just, you know, describe that situation. But let's say someone has a legitimate complaint. How, what should be the attitude? You know, if there's no accountability, how, how do you deal with that? Yes. All right. So you, you, the problem is that we're out of time. And this is, um, I'll see if I can answer it really briefly, though it may not be satisfactory. So very often we, when we become desirous of taking something from someone that they don't want to give it's because we feel that we've been wronged we feel that someone's taken something improper from me or someone has acted improperly now some of the time we're just misinterpreting the situation and the other person actually hasn't done anything wrong and it's again we see that in reverse when people think we've done something wrong when we haven't and in the same way, we sometimes may think that a superior has done something wrong when they haven't. And then there are the situations where a person actually has done something wrong in relationship. Uh, let's look at it in relationship to me or in relationship to others. And therefore, I feel there's justification with forcibly breaking their boundaries. Now, it's a fact that in criminal activities, such is exactly what is done. So if a criminal does something wrong, then that criminal's boundaries can be forcibly broken. The police can go and tie up their hands and throw them in the police car and throw them into jail against their will. Because they've broken because they've broken the law. They've broken other boundaries, other people's boundaries, therefore their boundaries can be broken. So we tend to bring that into our life in general. If you're breaking others' boundaries, therefore your boundaries can be broken. But we should be very, very, very careful because like Dharma the Bull said, if you name the perpetrator, you become like the perpetrator. So we don't want to go around breaking other people's boundaries ourselves. Now again, if someone's actually done criminal activities, it should be reported to law enforcement and then they need to be punished. And that's not an act of envy. It's not... uh, it's actually an act on behalf of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to bring peace and prosperity and happiness to everybody. It's not an act of envy. But that should be done by the government. It should not be done by individuals. Now suppose, again, that it's not exactly criminal, but it's, it's wrong. Then again, we should have some sort of, of system for dealing with wrongs rather than vigilante. You know, that it's not just, okay, somebody's, somebody's breaking, going around breaking other people's boundaries, and therefore I'm just going to take it on myself to break their boundaries. And I'm going to take it on, my, on myself to steal from them. You know, it becomes a chaotic society. And then you can say legitimately, well, sometimes we go to the proper authorities, whether governmental or not, and nothing happens. Yeah. That's true. And then we can think of, have I done things wrong that I got away with, seemingly? And the answer is almost, I mean, I'll I'll guess that the answer for all of us is yes. You know, that I've done things that are wrong that nobody but God and the demigods knows about and that I haven't gotten any kind of reaction in this life at all for. 
So somebody else also may do something wrong and I take it to whatever, I take it to the police or I take it to the GBC or whatever, I take it to whoever's in charge of the project. And I was just thinking about this yesterday, actually. There's a, there's a devotee who's a candidate for sannyas in ISKCON and the sannyas ministry always publishes the names of the candidates and asks if anybody has any objections. So for one of these candidates, I had some several very strong objections. And I tried over a period of months to communicate with the proper people these very strong objections. And nobody was interested. <laughs> it just went absolutely nowhere. And I was looking at this because somebody was saying, oh yeah, he's about to actually receive sannyas. And I thought, well, Krishna's in control. You know, Krishna's in control. That I've, I, I tried to take this to the proper authorities. I tried to deal with it in the proper way. I didn't, you know, I didn't go, I didn't assault that person. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't myself act as a perpetrator with that person. And ultimately, Krishna reveals what he wants to reveal and hides what he wants to hide. And I, I trust that he knows what he's doing. And I can talk to him. And I can say, Krishna, there's, there's a problem here with Dharma. Can you take care of it? You know, that's ultimately what the demigods do. If, if they can't take care of things themselves, they go to the Lord. But what we should really avoid is ourself taking retribution into our own hands because then we also become a perpetrator. So if, if I excuse my breaking of someone else's boundaries because they broke mine or they broke someone else's and I'm defending them, then I end up in a similar situation to that which, which I'm criticizing. So that's a very, very, very short answer. This is something we could talk about probably for a week and I have another class that I have to teach in so I have to go right away. Thank you very, very much, Shilpa Prabhupada. Key, Jai. Jai.